You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Bayshore and Millsboro. Good to see you guys. Uh, welcome to our 1030 service. We're so glad you're here. Happy Labor Day weekend. Has the summer gone fast or what? Been so fast, but I've just had a great summer. Hope you've had a great summer as well. It's so good to see you. And um, we just came from Femic Island. Great service there. We're in overflowing there now. Things are just, God's really moving there, moving at this campus. And our Rehoboth campus is doing so well. So we're just glad that we all get to do this together to reach our community. And uh, we're just thrilled you're here. Let me give you like a little encouragement about if you haven't been baptized yet, uh, September 17th, uh, one of the most fundamental things that all believers do uh, throughout all of history through the uh, New Testament is the first thing they did was went public with their faith and they were baptized. So if you haven't been baptized or you were baptized like when you're three years old and you don't remember, you just came home wet, you don't even know what happened. Uh, we want to encourage you, to, you know, to get baptized. It's going to be a great time of celebration. If you have been baptized, come out and let's cheer for everybody. We're going to have a great time on the beach uh, September 17th, Pembroke Island State Park. So, hey, we're in a series called uh, Road Trip, and we're looking at what happened to the children of Israel after they left the, uh, Egypt, after the Passover, when they left Egypt, they went through a whole series of things that happened. And all of these things are instructive to our Christian life, uh, how we live for Jesus and what goes on in our Christian life. So these things are really, really helpful to us. And so today we're going to be looking at uh, Exodus 18 and uh, chapter, uh, chapter 18, 1 through 17. They are at the mountain right now, Mount Horeb or Sometimes it's called Mount Sinai. Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are interchangeable in the Old Testament. And so we, you know, people aren't really sure where that is. There's a lot of scholars that believes it, it believes it's at a place called uh, uh, Jebel Musa, which means Mountain of Moses. And uh, they're at the base of that mountain is a, a monastery called St. Catherine's Monastery that has some of the oldest uh, manuscripts of the Bible that we have in our possession. So it's a great, significant place. How interesting, the mountain where Moses got the Ten Commandments at the bottom are these documents that represent um, things that we, uh, that, we, that we get to read in the Bible. So let's look at, I'm going to read uh, Exodus 18 for you. It's a little long, but we're going to get into application, how this works for our life. But I want us to just kind of kick back and listen to this as we get through uh, Exodus 18. Here's what it says, beginning in verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and, and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for the people of Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One, of, one son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' son and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your, and two, and your and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. 
Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardship they met along the way and how the Lord has saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued us from the hand of the Egyptians and Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought burnt offerings and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as a judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered, because the people came, come to me to seek God's will, whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and, my, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his country. So this is a great story about the road trip that the children of Israel are on. And uh, one of the great things that happens in road trips is you get to see people that you haven't seen before. You go on a trip and there's somebody that you haven't seen in a long time and you get to see them and that's really cool. We have uh, uh, Roger and Brenda Hurley with us this morning. They used to be part of this campus and they moved to Florida and they've been up here the last couple of weeks visiting with some of their friends. Road trips are about reuniting with friends and, and, and being with friends and having fellowship with friends. In a few weeks, Karen and I have a one of my best friends that uh, lives in Texas, He's, uh, I went to college with him, and he and his wife are coming up, and we're going to have a great time hanging out. We're going to eat at fine restaurants. We're going to play tennis. He's a tennis player like myself. We're going to watch comedians on TV. We're going to laugh. We're going to have a great time. And uh, that is what road trips are like many times. You get to hang out with people that you haven't seen in a long time. Now, in this passage, one of the things we see today 
is Jethro, who is Moses' father-in-law. He's the father of Zipporah, Moses' wife. And so he's coming to visit Moses. And he brings with uh, him Moses' wife, Zipporah, and their two children. Now, what's happened, if you remember, if you go back and you read Exodus chapter 4, verse 20, when Moses goes to Egypt, he takes his wife and his children with him into Egypt. But this passage says that he sent them away to be with their father-in-law. Now, there's an interesting thing we learn about Moses in this passage that's very subtle. We learn that Moses is a very practical man. He's a very practical man. He's not, a, he's not just a spiritual man that sees burning bushes, but he's also a man that's very, very practical about what is best in a certain situation. And uh, I love that part of the story. Now, we don't know when he got to Egypt. Maybe it was right before the, he started the plagues. He wanted to send his wife and children back to their, uh, his father-in-law for safety. We don't know if he anticipated there was going to be a lot of danger and he wanted to send them to safety. But he is very, very prudent and very wise about his common sense here. He realizes that it's not going to be safe for his wife Zipporah and for those children to be in Egypt when all this stuff happens between him and Pharaoh. So he makes a audible decision, a unilateral decision to send his children and his wife back to their father-in-law. And uh, here's what I love about Moses. Moses is very conscious of protecting his family. He's very conscious of protecting his family. Great leaders, great leaders always think of the welfare of their people. Great pastors, person that a pastor of a church that, that is a good pastor is somebody that's always thinking of the welfare of the people in the church. Uh, a, a good father that's, you know, leading his family and looking at his family situation is always thinking of what is best for his family. A single mom, she's in it by herself. I mean, she is raising these kids and she's working and she's thinking about, always thinking about what's best for my children. That's how Moses is. Moses is thinking pragmatically. He's thinking pragmatically. I was, in the spring, I was uh, fishing at Ingram's Pond, you know, uh, as soon as it became spring. I'm out there in my kayak and I'm fishing along and I'm drifting along the far end of the, the, the pond there and I'm right along the edge of the, of, the, of, the, of the pond, right where the woods is. And I'm just moving real slowly with my kayak and I'm kind of fishing and I see out of my corner of my eye, I see a Canadian goose that is, I mean, I could almost reach out and touch her. And she is frozen on that nest, protecting those eggs or protecting her young. And she's like, she's been hit with hairspray. She is not moving. And I looked at her, I slowed down and she just was so still protecting, protecting her young. Moses has that kind of heart. He's protecting his children. He's protecting his wife. And he's practical about it. You know, here's one I want to tell you, you know, give you a little shocker here this morning. God expects us to use our common sense. God expects us to use our common sense. Sometimes the more spiritual we become, the more mystical we become, 
The more we hear God, and I believe in hearing God, the Lord speaking to you about things, and, and you read your devotions, and the Lord speaks to you. I was reading my devotions the other day on the porch, and I'm reading through 1 Samuel, and all of a sudden just something jumped off the page at me where the Lord spoke to me about a situation. And the Lord speaks to us, and, and the Bible says that my sheep know my voice. So hearing God is a part of the Christian life. But there's also this practical side where God wants you and me to use our common sense. Voltaire says, I didn't agree with everything Voltaire said for sure, you know, the philosoph from the French philosoph. He said, common sense is not so common anymore. How do we know that our country needs some common sense? Common sense is very fundamental to being successful in life. And Moses used some common sense. And here's the thing about it. Sometimes God wants you to use your head. Sometimes God wants you to analyze a situation. He may not speak to you. He may not tap you on the shoulder, but he wants you to use your common sense and to make a proactive decision that's in the best interest of your family or yourself personally. Now, uh, if you think about when God created the world and he made everything and he made all the animals, which I love this part of the story in Genesis chapter 2, where the Bible says that the Lord brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. He brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. It's not like that Adam got before the giraffe and he prayed and the Lord said, call it a giraffe. It's like the Lord gave Adam autonomy to make that decision about what to call the giraffe. You know, he saw an alligator. Oh, he, you know, he didn't ask the Lord. He said, you know, that's an alligator. Did you hear about that alligator this week caught in Mississippi? Alligator caught in Mississippi. There got too many alligators in Mississippi. So somebody caught, no lie, an 800-pound alligator in Mississippi. And there's a lot of reasons not to live in Mississippi, but there's another one right there. <laughs> but Adam named the animals. God wants you and God wants me to use our common sense. You know, uh, you want to get a physical. You want to take care of your body. Uh, I played tennis with a guy one time. He was an older guy, and he hadn't been to the doctor, had a physical in six or seven years. And I said, man, you, can, you need to get a physical. And how many here are over 55? Just raise your hand. If, you know, if you're able to, just raise your hand right now. <laughs> you want to use your common sense. You want to get a physical. You want to take care of your body. Uh, we had our kids over last night, and... Our grandkids and my son Tim was showing me this guy on the internet that's eating all these vitamins and all this stuff. And, uh, and this guy's goal is to live to be 150 years old. And we watched some of the videos. He looked pretty, pretty uh, uh, just not healthy to me. You know, I think he needs to eat a hamburger. But anyhow, that's my, my evaluation. But you want to take care of yourself. You want to you prepare for retirement. If you're younger, you want to prepare for retirement. God wants you to trust him to take care of you, but you want to, take, you want to use your common sense. The average American has $65,000 saved for retirement. $65,000. 
and that's not going to get you very far. You're going to have to retire and you're going to have to die quick. That's just how it is, you know. <laughs> if you're younger, you want to get an education. Get an education. Learn a vocation. I have people come to me sometimes that, you know, real spiritual people and they're in their 30s and they can't make a living. They can't, they can't survive and we're praying for them to survive. They needed to use their common sense earlier because your common sense tells you that a man's gift will open doors for him. If you develop a skill, if you develop a capacity to do something well, that gift, if you get an education or you learn a vocation, that gift will open doors for you. It's a principle. So we need to be practical. Listen, you don't have to choose between being spiritual or practical. You need to choose to be spiritual and practical. And in this story, we see Moses is practical. He is so practical. He, he makes a decision. We have no indication that the Lord spoke to him in a dream. We have no indication that the Lord spoke to him supernaturally. He looked at the situation and he sent his wife and his children away from Egypt. I'm going to tell a really stupid story right now. And I hope you'll remember it. Uh, it's just a stupid story. And I'm embarrassed to tell it, but I'm going to tell it. How many have heard about the guy on the roof that there was a flood coming? There was a flood and the flood was up at the roof. And, and he's, he's so spiritual. He's asking the Lord to save him. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And a boat comes by and the guy said, partner, get in. I'm here to save you. He said, I'm trusting in the Lord. The Lord is my savior. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my strength. An ever-present help in time of trouble. Well, the guy looked at him, you know, mystically, and he just kind of went away. And another boat comes by, and same thing. Please, I'm here to save you. And he said, I'm trusting the Lord. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I'm trusting in the name of the Lord, my God. A little while later, a helicopter hovered over and let down a ladder. And the guy said, hey, climb on the ladder. I'm here to save you. He said, I'm trusting in the Lord. Well, the guy drowns and he's standing before the Lord. And he said, Lord, I, I'm so disappointed. I trusted you to save me. He said, well, I sent by two boats and a helicopter for you. <laughs> now, that is a stupid story. And how many have already heard that story? You heard that story. I knew you heard that story. And I didn't want to tell that story. But you got to get in the boat. Amen. Be practical. You don't have to choose between being spiritual or practical. You choose both. Very, very important. Usually when you get married, somebody's mystical. Somebody's real mystical. And then you got somebody real practical. Sometimes I, 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 you know, ladies that are real spiritual, and it's not just ladies that are real spiritual. Sometimes a real spiritual lady, and she thinks her husband is just the worst guy in the world because he's so practical. He's not praying hardly, and he's just like real practical, real logical. And I say, you know, that guy's a gift from the Lord to you. I don't know if anybody watches Nate Bargatze, the comedian. I love Nate Bargatze. Uh, anybody know who Nate Bargatze is? He's one of my favorite comedians. He, he's a really incredible. If you go on Amazon Prime, he's got some great stuff. Um, and uh, he says that his wife is the man of the house. Because he said, I don't know anything about the house. He said, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the dreamer. I'm the artist. I'm out there doing my comic acts. And he said, the guy comes by to replace the hot water heater. And he sees, Nate thinks he's the guy that knows everything. And he said, 
He said, I don't even know if we have a hot water heater, you know? He said, if we need one, I'll go buy one right now. We'll do what we want, you know? And sometimes you got a mystical person and a practical person that God brings together. Uh, I got a little scale. You got the mystical and the practical on two ends. You got this mystical side and you got the practical side. What's brilliant about Moses is that Moses brings both of those together. He's not just mystical, but he's practical as well. Then I love the part in the story where Jethro comes and Moses is a leader and even leaders need friends. Even people that are famous, even people that are bigger than life need friends. And Jethro shows up and the Bible says that Moses runs out and he bows before him and he honors him because the, the sense of honor, what honor means is, is to give value to somebody. He give value to somebody and he honored uh, Jethro. And the Bible says that Jethro came in the tent and it says that Moses told him everything. Moses told him everything. And everybody needs somebody that you tell everything to. Moses told Jethro everything. He told him the good things that the Lord had done for Israel. And he celebrated with Jethro the good things that God had done for him. And here's what a friend is. How do you know who your best friend is? How do you know who your best friend is? You know who your best friend is, is when something really incredible happens and that's the person you call. You call the person that's your best friend. You call the person when something good happens. How many know when something good happens? You don't want to just celebrate that yourself. You want other people to enter into that celebration and enjoy it as well. And Jethro sit there and listen to Moses being excited about all the good things that had happened and how God had blessed Israel and how all these things. And, and Moses is sharing his best moments with his friend. I have a good friend that I played tennis with that had blood cancer. And he uh, went through a number of treatments and went through a lot of stuff. And he finally got through his last round of treatments and they checked his white blood count and they checked everything. And they found out that all the cancer was gone. Uh, you know, we, I prayed for him. Other people prayed for him. He's, I don't think he's a follower of the Lord, you know. And my theory for evangelism is treat unbelievers like they're believers. And so I just prayed for him in the parking lot. I said, hey, Mike, I'm praying for you. And I just I said, I'm praying for you right now. And he bowed his head and we prayed together and we talked about it. And I texted him and he got through this. But when he got that report that all the cancer was gone, he called his best friend, whom I know, Rick. He said, Rick, I want you to meet me at the Iron, Iron uh, Brewery there on route, route 1 there in Rehoboth. And he sat down and they got a drink. And he told his friend the good news. Because you got to tell the person that you're closest to the good news. You got to celebrate. I was out in the 
in the uh, Lewis Canal a couple weeks ago fishing and I'm fishing along and I get this like fish on the line and it's pulling my kayak all around, you know, and I'm, and I pull that fish in and it's, you know, nice little croaker. I'm so happy. My first fish and when am I, I'm by myself. I gotta, I gotta tell somebody. So I take a picture of the fish and then I sent it to my best friend who was my wife, Karen. And then I called her, I said, you see my fish? <laughs> Do you see my fish? Because you celebrate, you celebrate with people that, that you're close to. You gotta celebrate with people that God has knit your heart to. Everybody, we need key relationships in our life where we can celebrate with people that God has knit us to. And when I caught that fish, I, I immediately shared it with my best friend. Karen is my best friend, but Karen's not my only friend. And it's a terrible burden for a, for a spouse that you're their only friend. Our spouses need to be our best friend, but we need to cultivate friendships and relationships that are depth that when we're going through something that's wonderful we can share it with them we can celebrate with them and that's that's an important thing i want to give you a little quote here i read from this is psychology today magazine there's been some research about what happens when we share good news with other people it's interesting uh this was uh, out of psychology today magazine and a wonderful wonderful little quote here this is from emma Sepala, she's a PhD, real smart lady. She said, the researchers have found that people who habitually tend to talk to people they are close with about good things that are happening to them also tend to feel happier and more satisfied with life. They also found that the more these people share their happiness with someone on a given day, the happier and more satisfied they were on that particular day. So when you share something great that's happened to you, it multiplies the feeling. When Karen and I go to a movie and we come out of a good movie, you know, it's terrible to see a good movie by yourself. But if we see a good movie, we come out of the theater, and we're walking down the, the hallway there at Midway Theater and we're talking about what we experienced. So Moses has Jethro to share the good news of things that's happened in his life, but he also shares the hardship. He shares, he shares all the hard things that they've just gone through. So when you think about his relationship with Jethro, it had the positive side where he shared the things that were really good, the things that were really positive, and then he also shared the things that were painful, Israel complaining. He shared Israel, you know, giving him a hard time. He shared with this one person, the struggles of his heart. And here's the thing, if we don't share everything with somebody, we're gonna self-medicate our pain. We're gonna self-medicate our pain. One of the things that we wanna do at Bayshore here is to create an environment of small groups where people meet in huddles, where they meet in community, where they have time to be together so that we can not only celebrate our victories with each other, but we can 
walk in struggles with each other. And if we sort of put inside and process privately our pain without sharing it with anybody, that pain turns toxic. We become wounded inside and then we will self-medicate. We'll drink too much. We'll take the drugs we shouldn't take. We'll look at pornography. We'll overeat. The reason that we self-medicate is because we haven't grieved in community. God designed us to grieve in community. God designed us that when we're struggling, we don't struggle alone. And Moses was able to share with with Jethro everything that he was going through. And it says in the text, then Moses shared everything. Moses shared everything. You remember the Wizard of Oz movie? You got the Wizard of Oz and he's pulling the levers behind the curtain and he's projecting this big image and the big image is put out there. But then Toto pulls the curtain back and reveals a little, little scared old man behind the curtain. And what we have to do is in our, how God has designed his kingdom is that we would be able to process, you know, not put out the image, not project, hey, we're so great. We got it all together. But Moses said to Jethro, this has been really hard. This has been difficult. So we shared that in candor. The last, last point of, of the story is that Jethro looks at the next day when uh, Moses has all these people lined up uh, to get his advice and get his counsel and to get his instruction. And uh, Jethro looks at the long line. I mean, it's going on and on and on. And all day long, people are waiting to talk to Moses. And, and Moses is under the sun, and it's very difficult. And Jethro says to Moses, this is not good. This is not good. This is not, this is not a smart thing to do. You're doing all this work. And, and Jethro challenges Moses to change how he's operating and one of the things we see in the story is that Moses takes Jethro's advice. Moses takes Jethro's advice. Moses listens to Jethro. And here's the test of the Bible says in Deuteronomy that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. He was the meekest man on the face of the earth. You know what the test of meekness is and humility? The test of humility is when someone can instruct us and someone can challenge us. Uh, and if we bow up every time somebody challenges us, that's a sign that we don't have humility in our life. There used to be a pastor in our community. He used to kneel down and pray with people all the time. He was a wonderful man, loved him dearly. And he'd go visit a farmer in the field and he'd kneel down in the field and, and uh, pray, you know, by the tractor. He was just a wonderful man. And people used to say, he's so humble. And I'd say, I believe he is humble. I believe he is humble. But I would say, you know, the test of humility is not kneeling down in some pious position. That's, that's not the test of humility. That doesn't prove humility. What proves, proves humility is when somebody comes to you and corrects you and someone says to you, this is an area that you need to work on and you receive that, that is the ultimate humility. Humility is listening to someone that's challenging you. 
And that's an important principle that we need to look at. Um, let me read to you a proverb that I think is really good. This proverb is, uh, uh, really talks about Moses and his uh, humility and all that. Proverbs, here it is somewhere. I'll find it in a second. Proverbs. Well, it disappeared. The Proverbs are not here anymore. Oh, here it is. Proverbs 9, 8 through 9. Listen to this. It's a wonderful verse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Do not rebuke a mocker or they will hate you. Rebuke a wise, rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. So Moses, he listens and his listening is what verifies that he's humble. And in our marriages, you know, your spouse, you're married together and you're trying to work out your marriage. One of the ways we can grow in our marriage is, is to walk in humility and, and realize that we have blind spots. Everybody has blind spots. And for Moses, he had always done it this way. And this was a blind spot for him. And it wasn't until, you know, Jethro pointed it out that he was able to receive that. So that's an important, important principle. And the, uh, the big concern that Jethro had was that it was going to be too too strenuous for Moses. He's going to be like wore out because he's trying to do everything. And here's one of the things as we come to a close today, one of the things I think is important is when we're overstressed and when we're over kind of like wore out, we got so much stuff going on that we're impatient and we're maybe a little uh, abrupt with people and we get on the highway and we get frustrated. Sometimes our impatience has to do with our having our schedules too full. We got too much that we're doing. And we got all of this responsibility. And sometimes when you are overcommitted, overcommitted like Moses was, he had all these things to do. The overcommitment is what led to his frustration and his stress. And so it's important we kind of like think about how does that work in our life and all of that. Here's, a, here's the thing you need, we need to all remember. Everything, every opportunity does not have our name on it. Everything that we uh, presented with, we could do this, doesn't have our name on it. Sometimes we have to just say, hey, listen, um, that's not something I'm going to take on. And sometimes we take on too much. And I, I bet if I asked you to raise your hand, how many have overcommitted at times? Some of you raise your hands. And that overcommitment kind of leads to all this frustration. And here's what, uh, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 through 29. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And if I, how many have been weary and burdened? You could say, oh my gosh, I've been weary and burdened. Come to me, all you who have been weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light now I think the primary meaning of this scripture is the law is heavy and grace is not heavy 
But I think this has a second application where it says that my yoke, a yoke is something you would put on an animal for a particular task. And when you think about the yoke of the Lord, that means that the Lord has, has assigned something for you to do. And when he's assigned something for you to do, he gives you grace to do that. But if you've taken on all these other things that you're not supposed to do, you don't have the Lord's yoke, you have somebody else's yoke, somebody else is putting that yoke on you, then you, have, you're going to have, you can have some difficulty with that. So my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So here's how it looks. You know, think about a, a Christmas tree that has presents all around the Christmas tree. I remember, uh, you know, when our kids come over at Christmas Day or the day after Christmas and the grandkids come and we've got all these Christmas presents under the tree and they're all stacked up and everybody's excited. You know, there are certain presents under that tree that have my name on it. And those presents are my presents. They have my name on it. But there's other things under the tree that don't have my name on it. So when you go through life, uh, if you pick up things that don't have your name on it, things God has not called you to do, and you keep picking up stuff because you're trying to get people's approval, or you're trying to get people, you know, to think you're a superhero, you pick up stuff that's not got your name on it, all of a sudden, you're like Moses, you're doing stuff you're not supposed to do, and you get all stressed out instead of staying in your lane and doing what you are called to do and what you're supposed to do. So there, let me give you this as we uh, kind of come to an end here. There's three R's in life. Everybody has three R's. We all have these three R's we need to pay attention to and to keep these three R's in balance. The first R is responsibility. Responsibility. Everybody the first R is responsibility. That means you, you go to work and you, you, know, you take care of your family. Responsibility is important. That's an important part of, 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 of our life. You know, the Bible says, you know, and I think it's uh, 1 Timothy, if we don't take care of our family, the King James vernacular says, if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. Basic responsibility, working and taking care of your family. That's a responsibility. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So we should be responsible. That's important. That's one of the R's of our life. The second R is recreation. Recreation. Now, in the word recreation, you see the word recreate. Recreation is what you do that refreshes you. For some people, it's, it's fishing. Some people, it's golf. I don't get that, but it's golf for some people. Um, some people, it's knitting. Some people, it's a book, a book and a cup of coffee. I mean, and the fireplace on, and you're sitting there. That recreates them. I mean, you know, it's August. They turn the fireplace on. They just want to sit there with our book. It's recreating. It recreates them. So what is, what is your recreation? So responsibility, recreation, and then relationship. You have to nurture relationships in your life. Relationships take time. You gotta, gotta take time to have healthy relationships. Your relationship with the Lord, that takes time. I was talking to a gentleman the other night. He said the first thing he does in the morning is he gets up and he reads his Bible, his relationship with the Lord taking time 
your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with other people. Responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. Everybody say recreation. And everybody say relationship. And the last one is rest. Is rest. Sleeping. You get, you get a good night. The Bible says he gives his beloved sleep. You get a good night's rest. You wake up. You feel more saved. You feel more like a Christian when you have a good night's rest. Now, some of you are Karen and I's age. How many of you, how many in this audience take naps? You take naps. Just raise your hand. Just where you take a nap, right? We, we take naps now, Karen and I. We'll, we'll go out to dinner and lunch or whatever, and then we'll, we'll go find a shady place, and we'll put the, the seats back in the pickup, and we'll take a nap. Now, if you ever see us in the mall, we're not dead. We're just taking a nap. We're just taking a nap, you know. We used to go parking for different reasons, but now we go and we take a nap. You gotta, you gotta get, you gotta rest. God designed you to rest. Responsibility. Some people, their, their, their four R's are responsibility, 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 responsibility. They work, they work, they work, they work. And I'm telling you, people that do that have got something to prove. They're insecure. I got to prove something. Responsibility is just one of the R's. Then recreation, having fun. Then you got relationships. It takes time. I got, you know, people, you know, you got to take time for relationships. And, and it's, it's a refreshing part. And then you got to take care of rest. That's part of it. So God said through Jethro, Moses, you're doing too much. You got you to gotta, you gotta scale down. You got to do less. Because sometimes our spirituality, it's not that we don't love Jesus, that we're so impatient. It's not that we are, you know, don't love the Lord. It's just because we are overstressed and we need to take some rest. So the first R is responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. The next R is recreation. Say recreation. The next R is relationships. And the fourth R is rest. Keep those things in balance. And, I, you know, some of you have heard me tell my story. My story is a number of years ago, I was, I was very, very stressed, and uh, I was overweight. I was heavy. Um, I was stressed, and one Sunday, I came here to preach, and I think it was in like in October, and I came to the podium that day, and as I walked to the podium, there was a wire, and I tripped a little bit, and I kind of came forward, and I, you know, was I caught myself, was able to go on, and I went and I started preaching. And but in the middle of my sermon, I found out there's certain words I couldn't say after a while. And I just thought, I'm having a bad day. This is just a bad day. It's awful. You know, I can't, can't hardly speak. And then Pastor Jeff comes on the stage. Pastor Jeff comes up here and he puts his arm around me and he whispers in my ear and he says, Karen said, get off the stage. Something's wrong with you. Now, Karen had said things were wrong with me before, but she had never done that publicly. <laughs> and so I got off the stage, and, uh, and they took me to the hospital in ambulance and looked like maybe thought I was having a stroke, but it turned out to be Bell's palsy. And if you ever had Bell's palsy, you, you're hideous looking. I was hideous looking. And so I had to tape my eyelids shut at night to go to sleep. You know, you have that thing going on, your eye dries out. 
And for six weeks, six weeks I, I didn't come to church. And I just walked and prayed. I just walked and prayed. Just walking and spending time with the Lord. And I couldn't come to church because I couldn't look at people and they couldn't look at me. You know, it was a big problem, you know. And one day I'm walking and I hear the Lord speak to me. And the Lord said, you don't have to score all the touchdowns. You don't have to score all the touchdowns. And at that point, I changed my life. I decided I'm going to lose weight. I went to Weight Watchers. I cut down what I did. I knew I was called to do certain things. People come to me and they say, hey, Pastor Danny, I think we ought to start this. And I say, may the Lord bless you. I bless you to do that because I'm not going to do that. And I started setting boundaries. How many know that boundaries will save your life? Setting boundaries. And it's a wonderful place to be to do what the Lord has called you to do. I want you to lift your hands up. I've gone a little over today. I apologize, I'm a little longer than normal, but would you lift up your hands and let the Holy Spirit minister to you? He's called you to live in peace. He's called you to live in prosperity. He's called you to be practical. Use your mind, use your brain. Be smart about how you live life. God is with you, he's gonna bless you. Father, as we start a new season, we're coming into the fall season. This is a new season. This is a new quarter of our life. And this is going to be a quarter of peace. Help us to get our priorities right as we start into the fall. Help us to say no to things we need to say no to. Yes to the things we're supposed to say yes to. Help us to put on your yoke and put off yokes that don't belong to us. And I pray your peace on this amazing congregation as we go into this week. We thank you for loving us and taking care of us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.